1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he, that he was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all He appeared to me as to one untimely born. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored, labored even more than all of them. Yet, I not, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul says, I make known to you that which is of the utmost importance. You want to know what the most important thing in Christianity is? Paul said it. It is the resurrection. It is the most important thing. And that's why it's preached. And that's why it's good to have a day to remember this. And to reflect on it, because we as people have a tendency to forget. It is the most important thing in Christianity. It is what separates us from the others. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I preach this to you, which you received, in which also you stand. You cannot stand without the resurrection. He says, unless you believed in vain. It is vanity to believe in Jesus Christ without taking hold of the resurrection. In fact, he goes on to say in that chapter, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. And then he goes on to say that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Our faith is in vain. And it's worthless. This religion that we follow, this truth that we follow, is worthless without the resurrection. The resurrection is the most important point of it all. As of first importance, I am preaching this to you, what I also received. Luke chapter 24.
After Jesus rose from the dead, many of his disciples could not believe it. And he was scratching his head over the whole thing because he, he thought they believed what the Old Testament had prophesied. Then he says, it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still could not believe it because of the joy and their amazement. And he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. So, after he had risen from the dead, he appears to them, and the first thing he says to them is, Peace be to you. These words that are still used in Israel today, Shalom, the common greeting. This is the same greeting that he used when he appeared to them in in the Gospel according to John. He said, Peace be to you. And they were startled and they thought they were seeing a spirit and he wanted very much to put away this thought that it is merely a spiritual resurrection. It is not merely a spiritual resurrection. The world may cut lots of slack for a spiritual resurrection and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Spirits may come up. But he wants us to know it is very much a physical resurrection. And so he says, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said, Why do doubts arise in your heart? To see a spirit, to think you're seeing a spirit, when you see Jesus himself, he says, A doubt is in your heart. You don't believe like you ought to believe. He says, let me drive this home to you. See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. See my hands and see my feet. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He says, touch me and see. He wanted to drive home the point that he had risen physically from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead physically. He said, touch me and see. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still couldn't believe it. I mean, imagine Jesus. He says, you guys don't even believe. You think I'm just a spirit. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. So they touch him. Yep, it's a spirit, all right. Jesus is like, what's with you guys? Okay. I'm hungry. (laughs) I need to show you that there's flesh and blood here. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Jesus loved 
fish. He was always multiplying fish. He had people catch lots of fish. And it says after they caught fish, they brought it all in. He was sitting on the beach cooking fish. They didn't even need to use their fish. He loved fish. The boy had a little tuna fish sandwich and he fed thousands from that few fish and the bread. So they knew, if this is really Jesus, he'll like fish. Let's really see if this is Jesus. They gave him fish, and he took it, and he ate it in front of them. To show them that he's not just a spirit. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a spirit eat? Have you? Have you? I haven't either. Spirits don't eat. That's why he said, you see, I have flesh and bones. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. You know, you go to touch a spirit, it's like... (laughs) It's just gone. They don't have flesh and bones. They don't eat. Spirits don't eat. He wanted to show them that he could eat. He was a man, he had risen physically from the dead. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 19. So when it was evening, John 20, 19. On that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, He breathed on them, and He said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will be forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. So again, Jesus appears to them, and He says the same line. Shalom. Peace be with you. And then, He wanted them to know for sure that He had risen from the dead. He was physical. He showed them his hands, and in this case, he said, look at the hole in my side, guys. Remember where the the, the Roman centurion stabbed him in the side? He said, guys, look at this. Whoa. (laughs) They're just amazed by this hole in his side. They're like, I didn't know it was so big. Yeah, look at that. He wanted them to be sure that this was a physical body standing here. Verse 24, but Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. Now, does this sound to you like a man who wants to believe? Who's psyching himself up? I believe, I believe, I believe. I think I see him. Yeah, 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 I think I see him. Does this sound like a man who's psyching himself up to do this? It sounds like any one of us would be. I don't believe it. All of you are hallucinating. Although hallucinations never come in groups. They never do. Ask any psychiatrist. Hallucinations are individual. Nevertheless, he said, you're all crazy. I don't believe it. And if you say you saw him, and he showed you his hand and his side, look, unless I see him, and I stick my finger into the place where the nails were, I won't believe. And unless, you know, you tell me you saw that gaping hole in his side, I want to put my hand in there. And unless I can do that, I'm not going to believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger, And see my hands? And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see me and yet believe. So Jesus appears, and all of a sudden Thomas sees him. And Jesus said, see these holes in my hand, see my side? And Thomas, yeah. He said, come here. I want you to stick your finger right through this hole in my hand. No, that's okay. And Jesus said, you've got to do it. Stick your finger through the hole in my hand. Now that you've done that, I want you to stick your hand into this hole in my side. It's all gooey in there. I want you to be sure that you believe that I've risen from the dead. Opens up this hole and Thomas He says, Thomas, put your hand in. Thomas probably goes like this. Mm -mm. I want your hand all the way in my side. Now your arm. Put it all the way up in there and feel my heart beating. I want you to feel that there's warmth in there. That there's a pulse in there. I want you to feel that. The other disciples are like, hey, can I try that too? (laughs) Try that. Jesus rose physically from the dead. How much more would you like to see in the Scriptures? How much more clear could it be? 
Look in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Reading from verse 9. That if you confess with Jesus, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is how you are saved. You shall be saved. And that's why when people say, I don't know if that person's a Christian, I ask that person, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? If they say yes, then I know we're on the right track. If they say no, then I know that they're not saved. And you say, oh, how can you judge them? I'm not judging them. I'm using the scriptural test. The scripture itself tells us What salvation entails. Being willing to confess that Jesus is Lord is not enough. There must be that willingness to believe that He has risen from the dead. And resurrection from the dead was never considered in Israel spiritual. It was physical. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. Physical resurrection. Multiple times he demonstrated physical resurrection. The primary reason why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because it's true. It's because it's true. That's why we believe it. Not to make us feel good. It's because it's true. In fact, the resurrection doesn't make us feel good. Let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was asked, which religion of the world provides the most happiness? His reply was, quote, while it lasts, the religion of worshipping oneself is the best. As you perhaps know, I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you really feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. It's pretty interesting. This whole thing is not here to make us feel comfortable to make us happy, to give us happiness in life. The resurrection, we believe it because it's true. You want to believe a lie? Then believe that He didn't rise from the dead. Go ahead, believe that. Believe that lie. Take the resurrection and make it a topic of study for yourself. 
and go ahead, try to disprove it. But no, like most people do, they will throw out comments and not investigate it and show their utter foolishness with their brazen comments. You investigate the resurrection. I have investigated it. I have read and read and read. And the historical proof is there. He has risen physically from the dead. And if you are here, and a Christian, if you are here and call yourself a Christian, now remember, to say Christian means something. In the scriptures, it always meant one who follows the teaching of the apostles. And now, we're all Christians. All Americans are Christians, right? We're all Christians. It's a Christian country. We must all be Christians. So the term has been so diluted. Now, if someone's good, they're considered a Christian. And what, what C.S. Lewis would say, if someone's good, call them good. Being a Christian is different. It means that you follow the teachings of the apostles who taught on the resurrection. So if you are here today, so now I'm speaking just to believers who are here. If you are here today, and those unbelievers who are here, you are here to hold the believers here accountable. Because believers are to be held accountable for their actions by the unbelievers. You are to be the ones who hold us accountable. And so, for believers, what is the outcome then of your belief that Jesus is Lord, your willingness to testify of that, and your belief that He has risen from the dead? In 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, Verse 15, it says, And He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. For He died for all. Yes, Jesus did die for the unbeliever. He died for all. But remember, that doesn't make salvation. What makes salvation is that Confession that Jesus is Lord and belief in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead. That's what makes salvation. The fact that He's died for all is there. Whether you believe it or not, it's happened. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Believers. He died for all. He died for you. So that you who live might no longer live for yourselves, but for Him who died and rose again on your behalf. That is what this verse says, why Jesus died. So that you would live for Him. Jesus died so that you would live for Him. And when I say you, I mean me. My life is to be lived for Him. That means I don't go my own way anymore. 
That means when my mind is wandering onto something that is not good, I deny my mind that thought and I bring it back. That means when I make a decision on a job or a job move, I fall on my knees and I cry out to God for wisdom. And I go to others in the body of Christ and I speak with them. And I get input. But ultimately, I am responsible to hear from God. And I look to the Scriptures to speak to me. And that is why I wake up every morning and I read this book. Because He died for me. Why? The Scriptures say, so that I would no longer live for myself. Because I am so stinking selfish. And God wants to pull me out of that. And says, no, you live for me, God says. And that is what God calls you to. Your life is no longer your own. I was reading in Proverbs a couple of days ago. A beautiful verse. I never noticed this before. I read... I read through Proverbs like every month through the book of Proverbs and I never noticed this before. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3 says, The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. You ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Mankind blames God for all sorts of things God had nothing to do with. The foolishness of man ruins his way. And his heart rages against the Lord. God is up in heaven. What's me? It's you. It's you. You did that. You thought that thought. You slept with that woman. You did that. What's me? God had nothing to do with it. In fact, on page after page, He warns us what we ought not to do. And then He tells us that if we do this other stuff, we'll be blessed. Every blessing in the Scriptures is coupled to an act of obedience. Every one of them. You want to call down some blessing from God, you better obey. Because every blessing is coupled to some act of obedience. If you find one blessing in the Bible that's not coupled to an act of obedience, show me. Because I have never seen it. Every blessing. You do this, this is what will happen. You do this, this is what will happen. Every blessing is coupled to some act of obedience. You are called to live for Him. So what of the resurrection? You live for Him who gave Himself for you. That is what He calls you to. You call yourself a believer? Live it! That means that as you go and you study, you say, God, let my studying be for you. Father, help me. Father, be my strength. Lord, provide for me the right spouse. Father, provide that for me.
In the same chapter of Proverbs, verse 14, Proverbs 19, verse 14, it says, House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Whoa! My father, when he dies, plans to leave what money he has to his three children. And the home that he has to his three children. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. You want a prudent spouse? The Lord gives that. The Lord can give that. You want to live for yourself? Go ahead. Marry whoever you like. Because you love them. (laughs) But the Scriptures say, a prudent wife is from the Lord. A good spouse is from the Lord. So when you are in your room alone, use the knees that God gave you to place them on the ground and say, God, have mercy on me. And provide me with a prudent spouse. Because I have known many people that wished that they had prayed that prayer. This is why I love to address college students. Because your lives are short enough to this point. Have been short enough that you haven't screwed up your life too badly. Because if I say this in a normal church setting, so much conviction falls on people that they slide down in their chairs and they just, you know, walk out all dejected. And then the pastor has to spend the next two weeks telling them how wonderful they are. These things are from God. Will you live for yourself? Or will you live for Him who died and rose again from the dead and say, God, bring to me the right spouse. Make it clear. And God will make it clear. If they can't pray, or if all they can do is say, Jesus, thank you for the food, amen. That is probably not the one for you. And just because they kind of a Christian kind of go to church and they'll be kind of a spouse. (laughs) These things are very clear in Scripture. You live your life for Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says, 2 Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail 
the test. That's what the Scriptures say. I didn't add a single word to that. That's what it says. Let me read that verse again. That's one verse. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Hey man, don't test me. The Bible says test yourself. You test yourself to see if you are in the faith. If it bothers you that someone should question the sincerity of your faith, then you have a problem. Because the Bible says that we are to be willing to make a defense for the hope that dwells within us. So if somebody is to question your faith, you can say, Oh, I believe in Jesus. For sure. And you can give the reasons why and what He's done in your life. So if it bothers you, if someone says, are are you really a Christian? If that bothers you, then you should be bothered. You test yourself to see if you're in the faith. You test yourself to see if you are living for Him who gave Himself for you. You can get the First John test. First John, the book of First John, is a great test book to see if we are in the faith. Because it says at one point in First John chapter two, First John chapter two, verse three. First John two, verse three. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner As he walked. Skipping on down, he says, in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 2, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no course for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Woe! By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. I mean, you've got to love this book. You've just got to love it. It pulls no punches. The only way people can read this book and say, oh, that was nice. 
is that you don't pay attention to what it says. You can't just go, oh, that was so nice. Because it is so convicting. And if it's not convicting to you, you're not really reading it. You need to read more slowly. I mean, what book just right in your face says you are a liar? I mean, most books that are like that, people just say, I don't want to read that. Get me another book. I don't like people calling me a liar. I want somebody to tickle my ears, make me feel good. Tell me how wonderful I am. If I don't keep His commandments, His truth is not in me. If I hate my brother, I dwell in the darkness if I hate my brother. I met one lady, one Christian lady. She said, that person, I'll never forgive them. And I just was like, whoa. just wanted to step back before the lightning came down. She has no idea what she's doing. I cannot walk in hate and walk in the light of this world, in the light of this word. If you, if say that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and you call yourself a Christian, then remember, you are obliged to live your life for Him. And what He calls from us is not easy. Christianity is not the place to make us feel good. The resurrection is not there to make us feel good. The resurrection is there because it is an historical fact. And if you believe it, and you're willing to call Jesus Lord, according to the Scriptures, you are saved. And if you are saved, you are therefore called to walk according to His ways and to live your life for Him. That means your life is not your own. My life is not my own. I cannot do what my neighbor does. I cannot see the movies that my neighbor sees. I cannot expose myself to the things my neighbor exposes himself to. Because this word tells me what I'm supposed to do concerning my moral behavior, concerning the way that I address others. And do I do it always right? No, I do it mostly wrong. And so I spend a lot of time saying I'm sorry to people. Some people get sick of my saying I'm sorry. That's all I can do. Because I mess it up so bad so many times. I was short with a guy on the phone today. I mean, a guy calls me up out of the blue. So I, I was reading a, a magazine today and I heard Rice does nanotechnology, so I called Rice. I don't know where you call when you call Rice, but anyway, called Rice. And they said, you do nanotechnology. I said, okay. And I was in the middle of, of I had to submit a proposal today and I had a four o'clock deadline and I had a gazillion meetings. And I was, there's this guy on the phone. I didn't know what he wanted or anything. 
I said, well, what do you want? He said, well, I, I, I want to know about nanotechnology. I said, what do you want to know about nanotechnology? He says, can nanoparticles not go anywhere? I said, what does that mean? Then he says, cannot nanoparticles not go anywhere? And he said, you got a neg- double negative here. This is a trick, isn't it? And I said, that means can they go somewhere? The answer is yes. Are we done? Then he says, uh, um, can nanoparticles react with, uh, uh, bind to viral DNA? I said, some can. He said, oh. I said, what is the nature of your call? Why do you want to know? Then he said, oh, I'm a college student. And I felt terrible because I talked to the guy like he wasn't a college student. If he's a college student, I understand. I mean, they're all nervous and everything. and they're asking. Then it turns out that he, he wants to think about doing research in this area. So he's got some idea with nanoparticles and viral DNA. And then he hung up. And I felt so bad. I was like, back again. Call me back. I want to say I'm sorry. Because I just wasn't nice to you. This is my life. My life is like, I want to say I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me for the way I spoke to him. Because I can't just speak to a person like that and let it go. I've got to somehow be different. You have to be different because of the resurrection. Because he died and rose for you, you are to live for him. That's the expectation on you. You read through 1 John. And verse after verse, you will start sweating. The Bible says, test yourself and see if you be in the faith. Examine yourself. And do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives in you? Unless indeed... You fail the test. The resurrection is an historical fact. And that fact calls us and it behooves us to live for Him who died for us and rose again from the dead. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for Jesus who died and rose again, and because He lives, I am to live for Him. And I pray for these young people that You would so cause them to live for You. Father, to those who name You as their Lord and believe that You have risen from the dead, Father, I pray that You would call them to obey Your Scriptures, to observe Your Word, That is the scriptures say, to obey the commandments. Father, I pray that you'd call them to obedience. And that they would live their lives for you. And avoid all sorts of troubles. That they would not be like the foolish man who destroys his own life. And then rages against the Lord. Father, for those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that the goodness of God would so visit them 
and draw them to repentance. Father, visit them with your mercies, I pray, and with the truth of your resurrection. And I thank you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.